The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Morning, Ecclesia. It's a treat to be together in this, uh, in this Lenten season and to be among the truly holy people who come at 9 a.m. You are the group uh, closer to Jesus by far, or at least, at least by two hours, right? It is, uh, it's good to be together. It's a gift to be together. It's been a long week. It's been a hard week uh, for many in our community, uh, in our country. I think that's one of the reasons God instructs us to gather like this on the first day of every week, to be able to look each other in the eye, give each other a hug, have a breakfast taco, do whatever it takes to reconnect as a community. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, for this really beautiful uh, community that you have assembled, not, not just here, but all around the world, a community to which we belong, a community where we can give love and feel loved and encourage one another, point each other toward Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity during this season to focus our eyes on the cross and the empty tomb, to just be made more aware of the, the many gifts that you've given us. And so I pray today as we study together, think together, consider together, that you would change us somehow. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I think the best advice that I can give during this season of Lent is that we would all break camp and keep moving. Let me put that another way. I think sometimes the freedom that we seek, uh, we think comes from where we left, and we really need to stay focused on where we're headed. Let me give that one more try. You need to be more like my daughter and less like Charlie Brown. You remember Charlie Brown? He had this love-hate relationship with Lucy, or maybe even better put, a a love-hate relationship with this football. All Charlie Brown ever wanted to do was kick this football, and we've had that depicted for us Many times uh, in the comic strips, this iconic image of Charlie Brown laying flat on his back after Lucy just yanks the football up off the ground. And if you're old enough to remember this, uh, that comic debuted in 1953, this, this whole football scene. For whatever reason, Charles Schultz skipped a few years, but then again in 1956, and every year after that, every September or October, this scene played out before our eyes, and it was so ubiquitous that even for younger folks in the room, like we remember that. We remember Charlie and Lucy and this football, and the buildup was always the same, right? Lucy says, hey, Chuck, let's let's play some football, hold the ball on the ground, and you run up to it as fast as you can, and you just 
kick it to kingdom come. It'll be fantastic. And over the years, the dialogue went back and forth, and things were kind of stated in a different way, and, but it always ended the same, right? It ended with Charlie on his back. Uh, wham was the caption that was always used, and Lucy had taken the ball off uh, the ground and, and left Charlie reeling in pain. In 1998, the last time that Lucy and Charlie teamed up, the the comic strip kind of proceeded the way it always did, but for whatever reason, I suppose because the cartoonist knew the ending, Charlie Brown was optimistic this time. You know, his cynicism had sort of gone away, and he felt like today was going to be the day. And so he talked about his optimism as he walked back to take his place, and Lucy even credited his attitude. She said, Charlie, you really talk the talk and walk the walk, she said, surprised. And then Charlie ends up on his back again because of Lucy. And that last frame appeared for the last time, Charlie flat on his back, and Lucy said, you can talk the talk, you can walk the walk, but you can't kick the kick, Charlie Brown. You can't kick the kick. But for 50 years, every year he tried in fact, one of the years, the last, uh, the last thing that you read was Charlie Brown saying, I must be out of my mind. I just can't resist kicking footballs. Reminds me of Proverbs 26, 11, where Solomon writes that as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool to his folly. Have you ever felt like you were out of your mind? Like you just couldn't believe that you were finding yourself in the same place again and again? Not not footballs, but we all have our fascinations, don't we? These things that we are placing our hope in, these things that we think can deliver us. For Charlie Brown, it was the feeling of his toe against the leather of that football with the pigskin just flying into orbit. He had this fascination that kept him coming back again and again, even though he knew how it would end. There was always something that could persuade him to go back. But I wonder if maybe freedom doesn't come from going back, but moving forward. Maybe the addiction you have and the promise that it wields in front of your face is one that continually entices, but just as often it disappoints. Maybe for some of us it's just a creature comfort, it's our leather sofa and our Netflix and our bag of chips, that would be my sin of choice if I'm being honest with you. We have these things that can lull us to sleep and sort of lie to us, convincing that our hope could be placed there, our deliverance can come from there. It's a relationship or it's our performance or it's our status within our community. But I'm telling you, you need to break camp and keep moving. Freedom comes from crossing over, not looking back. You need to be less like Charlie Brown and more like my daughter. Why do we keep going back? It's an intriguing question, isn't it? Why do we keep 
returning to those things which so often disappoint. They promise deliverance, but really all they have to offer us is shackles. Why is it that we do that? In John chapter 8, we get a little bit of a clue. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to some of the Jews who have believed in him. When I used to read this passage, I thought it was the Pharisees. Like, I thought it was the the mean old religious guys in like the black tunics that I've always imagined in my mind were against Jesus. But that's not who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to new Jewish believers. And here's what he says. If you hear my voice and abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and that truth will give you freedom. That's all we want, isn't it? It's freedom. And the Jewish believers, these are people who believe in him. They say this, we are Abraham's children and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say to us, you will be set free? You know, one of the reasons I think we return to the captivity that so often harms us is because we have a reality problem. You ever notice how most of us think we're a lot better looking than we are? We think we're a lot smarter than we are. We think we're better drivers than we are. We think we can multitask better than we actually can. I'm guilty of all of those things, by the way. And in addition, for some reason, my reality problem manifests itself when I'm having a group picture taken. So, uh, just got back from the Holy Land. Chris preached last week from the boat on the Sea of Galilee. You guys have asked about beautiful trip, hard to summarize. Have to save that for another day. But on the trip, we took a lot of group pictures. And since I was a little kid, I don't know why this is, but since I was a little kid, when I was in a group picture, I have not been able to resist the temptation to stand on my tiptoes. I just want to look taller than I am. And I'm pretty tall to begin with. But when I get in a group picture, I can't help myself. I'll be there in the back, in the middle, where tall people are supposed to go, and I'll still do this every time. Right before one, two, three, I just do this. I can't resist. I just, I do it, don't I? We did it together. Does anybody else do that? Like, we all just have these things where... We have this reality problem. We just want to think things are a little better than they actually are. When I played basketball growing up, we all added an inch or an inch and a half to our height in the program that they passed out at the door. We all did it. We want things to be a little better than they really are. We think of ourselves a little more highly than maybe reflects reality. These Jewish believers they actually look Jesus in the eye and they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. And some of us say the same. It's a curious thing for these people to say. When you go back and you read the history of the Jewish people, from about 1700 BC to about 1300 BC, they were enslaved in Egypt. Now, God delivered them from Egypt. We're going to read about that in just a minute. But they no sooner settled in the promised land than they were having to ward off 
enemies from every angle. And you read the book of Judges and they spent a good bit of the time enslaved to the Philistines or somebody else that kind of came in and took over. And that's not to mention Babylon and Syria that invaded their country and hauled them off into captivity where they would be enslaved for another 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And then come the Persians and then this guy named Alexander the Great who wielded a pretty heavy sword. And then the Romans, in fact, when they speak these words, they're living under Roman occupation in their land. These people have hardly ever not been enslaved to someone. But when Jesus talks to them about freedom, they want to have a reality problem. And they say, what are you talking, we're Abraham's children. We've never been enslaved to anybody. What are you talking to us about? And some of us have that same reality problem. No one thinks they're enslaved to anything. I can quit whenever I want, we say. But most of us, man, all of us, we're enslaved to something. Same as the Jewish believers, same as Charlie Brown. We've lost sight of reality. We go back to the same old situation that promises us deliverance, but really only offers disappointment. It reminds me of my relationship with my sister growing up. We lived way out in the boonies. Uh, at one point in my childhood, for about five years, we lived 13 miles from a town named Bland. Bland was the name of the town, an apt description. And we were 13 miles from there. So I'm talking middle of nowhere. I didn't have any friends. I had trees and goats and my sister, okay? And so we had this agreement, my sister and I, or at least I thought it was an agreement, where just because we were the only playmates each other had, we would sort of compromise. We were into different stuff. I wanted to play baseball, she wanted to play dolls. So we were reasonable people. We agreed, hey, if you play dolls with me for 30 minutes, then I'll play baseball with you for 30 minutes. Sounded reasonable, so I agreed. And I would play dolls for 30 minutes. Sometimes maybe she'd stretch it to 40, but I was banking that time, right? We were gonna play baseball. Without fail, on every occasion, we would get done playing dolls. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my sister would have this terrific stomach ache. Or she would have homework that she needed to finish or chores that she needed to complete. Anything she could do to get out of playing baseball with me, she would devise this plot to get out of it. And you know, if I were a smart guy, after one or two times, I would say, no dolls for you until we play baseball. And yet time and time again, I just believed her. I just believed that she would do what she said she would do. Brothers and sisters, we have these promises being whispered to us from people and positions and substances and habits and sins. And they promise us, they whisper to us, and we believe them 
that they can do something for us that they're never going to do. We keep looking back to them. We keep returning to them. We keep believing that deliverance can come from them. But it's not true. It's simply not true. Like Lucy to Charlie Brown, like my sister to me, it's going to get the best of us every time. It's going to disappoint us every time. You keep making that bargain. You keep ending up flat on your back. Freedom comes from crossing over. It comes from breaking camp. We got to keep moving. Why don't we do it? I, I would say at this stage, you all agree. You, you know that those things disappoint. You're self-aware enough, intellectually honest enough, spiritually sense enough to recognize that those aren't the things you should really place your hope in. So why do we keep going back? Maybe it's we have a problem with reality, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's a comfort that we have in our captivity. Maybe the shackles that we wear have calloused us so that we don't even really notice that they're shackles. So here we are in the book of Exodus, chapter 14. The people of Israel are standing between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, and they're not sure what's going to happen, and they're desperate, and so they call out to Moses. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out here to die in the desert? Why have you done this to us? Why have you made us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you in Egypt, stop pestering us so that we can get on with our lives and serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to live as slaves to the Egyptians than to die out here in the desert. Can you believe that in the history of humanity, those words were ever spoken? It would have been better to live as slaves? In our desperate moments, when it doesn't seem like there's any hope, it is our natural inclination to return to that which we think will deliver us, but that which has actually been holding us captive. We look back instead of forward. Which is worse, denying that you were ever held captive like the Jewish believers, or longing for that captivity again? I'm not sure which is worse. Why would someone say that? I think we look back and we misremember. We, we forget that, that the captivity that we long for was killing us slowly, day by day. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10 says that it's foolish to say, Where are the good old days? Because there was never such a thing. There's never such a thing as the good old days. But more so, even more than I think us misremembering, is we actually prefer the comfort of our captivity over the difficulties that come with living as free women and free men. There is a reliability, a predictability to our slavery that makes us forget our chains. We miss it. 
Charlie Brown was shackled to the idea of that kick. The, the Jewish believers had rarely not been enslaved. They didn't know a reality not living under someone else's thumb, and so it was familiar to them. I needed someone to play with more than I needed fairness. The Israelites in chapter 14 of the book of Exodus were willing to wear shackles for a hot meal. They were willing to live in slavery so that they didn't have to wonder what was going to happen next. There's an illusion of freedom, but it's not real freedom. Back to John 8. When the Jewish believers say these things, in verse 34 and 35, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Everyone who commits sin, that's us, surrenders his freedom to sin. He is a slave to sin's power. You are enslaved to something. Even a household slave does not live in the home like a member of the family, but a son belongs there forever. We have this illusion of freedom because living under the captivity of sin Like sin puts us up in a halfway decent guest house where we can come and go somewhat. But you don't live in the house like a member of the family. You're a slave. You are being held captive. The Israelites were not the sons and daughters of Pharaoh. They they just built stuff for them. They just made bricks. And because occasionally they had fish and garlic, they were cool with it. And standing between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, they actually look back. They can smell the garlic in their nostrils. And they think, that was better than this. And we can can be hard on the Israelites. We can talk about the Jewish believers in John chapter 8 and say, are you kidding me? You've been enslaved your whole life. But brothers and sisters, we've been enslaved our whole lives. And we go back to it again and again and again because it's comfortable. It's predictable. We think deliverance can come from there, but it can't really come from there. That is an illusion of freedom that leads us to long for our shackles. Sometimes our shackles, whatever they are, I would imagine at this point you have identified yours. They're a pacifier to us. John 8, 36. I don't know. I guess Jesus finally had enough of all this nonsense talk. He said, I tell you the truth. Anyone commits sin, surrenders his freedom to sin. Verse 36, he says this. So think of it this way. If the Son comes to make you free, you will really be free. See, all we want is freedom, and we look for it in so many places, and Jesus is saying, if the Son comes to make you free, and oh, by the way, he did, then you are really free. You can really be free, not just an illusion of freedom, but real freedom. So how do we get from captivity to freedom? How do we really rid ourselves of our shackles? I've already told you. Stop looking back. Look forward. Cross over. Break camp, keep, keep moving. Or to put it another way, we just need to 
take the pacifiers we've created, these shackles that comfort us, we need to take the pacifiers out of our mouth. Carrie and I have two kids, Norris 12, Malachi's nine. They're both brilliant, brilliant in different ways, but both brilliant. Nora is particularly, and always has been, particularly precocious. She's talking before she should have been able to talk. She was walking before she should have been able to walk. She would organize her toys. Like, I remember going to somebody and saying, my daughter is totally type A, whatever. And they're like, you don't know that. She's like eight months old. And I'm telling you, my daughter will sit in the middle of the floor and arrange her toys by size order in a semicircle. I think she might be type A. I think I've got that on lockdown. She's just like that. But one of the most interesting things Nora ever did when she was very young, by the way, great opportunity to show a cute picture of my daughter. Take it away. Look at that. Isn't that wonderful? She wanted to approve the image, but an image that cute does not necessitate approval. You just show it. Uh, She was a little younger than this. She was probably only eight or nine months old, but she was riding in that car seat in that car. We were going somewhere. And she had her pacifier in her mouth. Now look, there's nothing wrong with pacifiers. Kids have pacifiers, right? But for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe because she wanted to talk. I don't know the reason. Like eight months old, she just takes the pacifier out of her mouth, hands it to my wife, and that was that. (laughs) Now those of you who are parents know how miraculous that is. (laughs) Look, there's nothing wrong with a one or two or three, I don't care year old kid having a pacifier. But if I walked around with a pacifier in my mouth, you'd go. And yet so many of us pacify ourselves with the captivity that comes from so many different directions, unhealthy relationships, addiction to substances, a reliance on our performance and status at our workplace or in our community. We return to it again and again and again. But we need to be more like my daughter and less like Charlie Brown. We need to just take the pacifiers out of our mouths. In Exodus 14, when the Israelites are done complaining, Moses speaks. He says, don't be afraid. Stand your ground and witness how the eternal will rescue you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians, for after today you will never see them again. The eternal will fight on your behalf while you watch in silence. Or put another way from the words of Jesus, if the Son makes you free, you're really going to be free. The Egyptians aren't going to make you free. That rush of feeling that you think you're going to get when your foot hits the football, that's not deliverance. It's not happening. This idea that we have that a drink or a bite or a drug or a promotion or a check or a bigger house or making some sort of inroad into a relationship with someone who's really important can deliver us, it's just not going to happen. We need to just take the pacifier out of our mouth and hand it to Jesus and move on. Verse 15, I guess Moses was complaining to God in turn because God says to Moses, why do you call for me? Instruct the Israelites to break camp and keep moving. 
The Israelites are freaking out. We're stuck. There's Pharaoh. There's the Red Sea. What are we going to do? Moses is freaking out. Hey, God, you brought me this far. What's going on? And God actually says, what are you talking to me for? Take the next step. Keep walking. Break camp. Tear down your tents. You've camped out here too long. Keep moving. And I think that's what we need to do. I think we need to dump the alcohol and change our work habits and smash our screen and do whatever else we need to do to take our shackles off and hand them to Jesus. Often that which we think is delivering us is that which is holding us captive and we need to keep moving. Stop thinking it's going to work this time. In 1960, Charles Schultz did the annual comic. He was ready. Charlie Brown knows what's going to happen. But then Lucy reasons with him. The odds are in your favor, Charlie Brown. One of these times, I'm not going to jerk the ball away. Like, it's just a matter of mathematics at this point. Eventually, you're going to kick the ball. And so he believes her. And he runs. And he whiffs. And Lucy leans over him in a condescending way that just makes everybody want to slap her right through the cartoon. Says, sorry. This wasn't the time. Brothers and sisters, can I suggest to you that there's never going to be a time when that which holds you captive is actually going to deliver you? Not this time and not the next time. You need to keep moving. You need to cross over. And I love how Exodus 14 spills into Exodus 15. You know what happens. They keep moving. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. Pharaoh's army's laying at the bottom of the Red Sea. And they sing this song of remembrance, one that was carried down through the ages. They sing the song to the eternal one. I will sing to the eternal, for he has won a great victory. He has thrown the chariot into the sea, horse and rider. The eternal is my strength and my song. He has come to save me. He is my God, and I will praise him. He is the God of my father, and I will exalt him. The eternal is a warrior. The eternal is his name. Pharaoh's chariots, that that, that, that just a few hours before they wanted to go back to. Pharaoh's chariots and his army have been thrown into the sea. His high-ranking officers are drowned in the Red Sea, and it goes on and on and on. You should read Exodus 15. They commemorate their freedom with a song. And we commemorate our freedom with a meal, with the Lord's Supper, something that we participate in every week when we gather together as a reminder of our freedom, our true freedom that comes to us because of Jesus. It reminds us to keep returning to the things which so often harm us and hold us captive And it reminds us that Jesus freed us through the breaking of his own body and through the shedding of his own blood. And so we take the bread and we break it. And as Jesus told us to do, as we eat, we remember him. We remember that if the Son sets you free, you're really free. We take and we eat and we commemorate our victory over our captivity. And we have this cup, this cup of remembrance that Jesus says, take, drink, in remembrance of me. Every time you get together, you remember that my blood was shed. 
and that I've made you free. So Lord, we ask that you bless this bread and this cup, this remembrance, this meal, this celebration that you have set us free, that the things that we have placed our hope in, they cannot deliver, they cannot save. So we remove our shackles and we hand them to you. We break camp, we keep moving, we look ahead. The only thing we want to look back and remember is what you have done, and then we want to take the next step in freedom. So Lord, as we commune together, would you bless this time? In Jesus' name, amen. If you're helping to serve communion, uh, you can be ready, but first let's pray uh, this prayer together. I'll lead as the celebrant, and then we can read together as the people. Oh, Lord, our God, we are reminded in this Lenten season how desperately we need you in what we have done and in what we have left undone. We have not loved you with all our heart and soul. We have not loved you with all our mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Our attention turned inward. We have isolated ourselves from others, and even worse, we have attempted to isolate ourselves from you. Merciful God, forgive our sins. Release us from our guilt and shame. Lift our eyes, lift our chins, lift our hearts. We humbly and joyfully begin again with you and with one another. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.